I'm, I'm sure it is. Hello? It is now. That's what I said. Whew, man, thank God I didn't do that while we were singing. You guys, you wouldn't even understand that. All right, so last week we started our month-long look at the Jesse, at the Jesse Advent tree. We saw from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, we get a, we get a shadow of Christ represented throughout the entirety of Scripture. We saw sin come into the world through disobedience to God, and then we see this amazing plan of redemption that God puts into place. We saw how man continually did his own will, his own way, and we saw that they kept, God kept bringing them back to Himself. Okay? After, um, even after the whole world was flooded, what happened? Man went right back into their sin. So, the great part is God still has a plan. We saw how Abraham was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, the promised son that he had been waiting for to be faithful and obedient to God. And God provided Himself that sacrifice, that substitutionary atonement that was in Christ. And it was that shadow. You see the shadow. You see the imagery of what was happening in the Old Testament pointing the way to the New Testament, Jesus. Um, Joseph, remember, was sold into slavery. Oh, she's already coloring on the floor. I knew it was going to be that one. Um, so we saw, we saw Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery because they were all jealous of him because he, his, his dad showed so much favor to him. And, and basically, they, they threw him into a pit and then sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the whole time, it was God's plan. If Joseph had not been in Egypt to save the people that were there, his own brother Judah would have, would have died in the famine, and Jesus Christ came from the line of Judah. So there's, there's just so much that points to Christ in what we read in, that, in the Jesse Advent story. So today, you guys need to buckle up, because we're going to fly through a bunch of Scripture here. You can try and keep up. It might be a little difficult. There's actually a lot of reading in here. So we're going to go through day 8 through whatever in the, um, in the Jesse Advent story. We're going to start off with um, day 8, and that starts in... That is really... I can't believe I did that. I did not write down what the Scripture's from. Anyway, I'm going to read it because you guys aren't going to go through it anyway. Here we go. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, a priest of, of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called, God, God called out to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. 
for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. You shall... You, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I have come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say, to the, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, this, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God came to Moses to tell him what he was going to do, that he was going to deliver his people out of the land of Egypt. Moses didn't think he was worthy. He didn't think he had what it takes. If you remember, if you read further in the story, you see where he says, you know, I'm slow of speech. I, I'm not a good speaker. I don't do this. And God's like, God's sitting there going, I know all your excuses. I, I made you. I know who you are. And I also chose you. You're the one that I want to do this job. He then tells um, he then tells him that he knows better. I am who I am. I'm the one who did everything here. The lesson here is that God can use anyone. Danielle, honey, you need to sit down. Stop. You need to stop doing that now. He, he's, he says to tell them, I am who I am, meaning that he doesn't answer to anyone. He has mercy on whom He has mercy. It's all in God's hands. So the ornament for day 8 is a burning bush. Week 9, I actually did write the Scripture reference down for this one. Um, week 9 is from Exodus, and we're going to go 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, 6 through 8, 11 through 15, 31 through 32. I did kind of pick some of this stuff out just to kind of shorten this stuff up a little bit for you guys. Um, starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the con congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for their household. 
Verse 6, And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses which they eat it. They, they shall eat the flesh at, that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Verse 11, In this manner you shall eat it, and with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all of on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned to you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove the leaven out of your houses. For if someone, if anyone eats what is leavened, from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Then verse 31, he goes on with, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you, ha- as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. So day nine... Day nine, we read all about the sacrificial lamb. Okay? We see the lamb that was slain. His blood was put on doorposts, the doorposts of the Hebrews, so that when the angel of death came, he would just pass over them. The symbolism in this stuff is huge, guys. Um, the Hebrews were eating lamb and unleavened bread, and they had their shoes and everything fastened because they knew that when that happened, they had to get out of there. They had to be ready to leave. So, and you remember that they've already done all the other plagues, and Pharaoh's like, no, you're not going anywhere, no, you're not going anywhere. And finally, when that happened, take, take your gods, your people, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. So that, that blood that was over them protected all of the Hebrews from, from that death. And every family that was in the Egyptians suffered the loss of their, of their firstborn beast and person. So they were all moaning and crying. But the people who had the, lo- the blood of the lamb were saved. It's, it's huge symbolism. So the, um, the ornament for the day nine is the lamb. Day 10 is found in Exodus 20, 1 through 17. And I think you guys will recognize these right away. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, whom brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You, you guys think you remember these ones, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above 
or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will hold, not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You, on, that, on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. So I will tell you guys one thing. I have never coveted any of your oxes. It's not something I've ever had an issue with. So, you guys remember, they have been traveling out of Egypt, and they're they're wandering out. You, you guys, how many of you guys heard the story that, of the of the Hebrews, the, the Israelites are all out, they're, they're wandering in the wilderness, right? Right? You guys heard that story. you guys know what the wilderness looks like? Think of like Death Valley, Arizona. I mean, it's not like trees and this beautiful little... It's not. It's desert. It's nasty. It's rocky. It's hilly. There's, there's nothing out there. So God takes them on this journey... For 40 years, he has them traveling around all this land. Now remember, these people were getting beaten and killed in some cases to make bricks for for the things that the Pharaoh wanted made. Sometimes without straw, they had to go get their own straw because the, the Pharaoh still was trying to just make them suffer for being who they were. And God saves them from that. And all they do is they're moaning the whole time. Well, when we were in Egypt, we had this. Or when we were in Egypt, we had that. And I know Moses got fed up with them several times during this. But you can see that in the midst of this wandering, God gives them the Ten Commandments. And it's basically... Kind of a simplification. We, we've been talking about this in the book of Acts a lot, but it's, it's, this, it's a simplification of the 613 laws that he later gives to them in, in Leviticus about how they were supposed to live their lives. It was basically 10 simple rules of how to live in relationship with God and how to live with other people. The, the reality is, if you're doing those 10 things, you're going to get along with other people pretty good. You're going to get along with God pretty good because you're not doing these things that are offensive to all these other people. Remember, Jesus kind of narrows it down even further, just two, well, three. And he, Jesus goes, no, just love God, love your neighbor. 
and tell people about me. Those three simple things that Jesus broke it down to. And in reality, it covers all those things. If I, if I, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to covet. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to do all these things. If I love God, I'm not going to use his name in vain. I'm not going to do all these things. So it, it kind of breaks all that down. It shows still that those laws that they had all kind of pointed to something they couldn't keep up to. Because I, I know we've, we've all told lies. We've all done things we shouldn't have done. And we still needed a Savior. And that's kind of what this also points to, is they needed something that was still going to atone for their sins. You go through the book of Leviticus, and it, it's all about don't do this or you have to kill that. Don't do this or you got to kill that. And it's all about that atonement for sin. That's, that's what all Jesus was about, was atoning for sin. So the ornament for day 10 is the two stone tablets that God wrote the commandments on. Day 11 is found in Joshua, and I don't know that I'm going to read all this because this is really, really long. Um, Joshua 1, 11, 1, 1 through 11 says, After the death of Moses... The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, was my, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all his people, into a land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. Every place that the, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So remember, there. Let me go backtrack a little bit. So they've been traveling for 40 years. Remember, they God said, go into this land. This is the land I've promised you. And what do they do? They send in spies. The spies come back, and the spies are like, whoa, it's beautiful. But there's these big guys, like really, really big guys. And there's no way that we can take those guys because there's too many of them, and they're, did I mention they're big? So God basically says, well, if you can't do it with me, I, I guess you ain't going in. So none of them ended up going in, except for Joshua. And Joshua went in because Joshua was like, no, we can go, let's go. So all the people that were supposed to go in didn't go. So now Joshua's put in charge, and they take him, they, he takes some of the people into the land, and, and God says, I'll give this land to you. Now, if you remember from before, it was the Jebusites, the Canaanites, all these people were in the land. So they, they had to battle them to take over the land. This had to happen. And, and God's like, I'm giving them into your hand. I'm in, I'll do this for you. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat the small stuff. So they get to the area where... Um, they're going up to Jericho, okay? So they get to the land of Jericho, and Jericho has these huge walls. And they're like, well, what do we do here? And God comes up with this awesome plan. I mean, it's amazing. So in, let's go to... Um, this is in verse 1. 
verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because, because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you, you shall do for six days. So here's the, here's the great plan. You're just going to walk around the city one time. Do that for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and when they make the long blast with a ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now, have any of you guys tried any of this before? We should maybe do that. It's like a church expedition. Just walk around some building. I don't know. What's, what's a bad building we could do. Anyway, not walk around it. What? The school. <laughs> it's a institution of learning, Sarah. She was thinking it. What? Okay. So, but think about that. Think about the plan and, and you hear it and you're like, what? I'm just going to walk around the building? And they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. They're doing all this stuff. And they do it, and what happens? Just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of the ram horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant um, of the Lord following them. And the, the armed men were walking before the priests and were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the guard, Ark while the, the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So, skip forward. On the seventh day they rose early. They did all these things, right? So the people shouted in verse 20. The trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the shout of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall of the city fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. See, God promised, He promised them land. He promised them that He was going to come through for them and do this thing for them. Moses' people and Moses saw the obstacle, they didn't see the promise. So none of them got to go in. After 40 years of walking around in the desert, you don't even get to get into the promised land. You think, think of how bad that, that must have felt. God has Joshua finally lead people into the land, and they've got to take it over. But God was very specific on how. Not only was God specific on how, God was very specific on what they were going to do with what they got when they got there. So they were very, there was specific loot they were allowed to take. There was specific loot they were not allowed to take. There was animals that had to be completely killed. You had to wipe them off completely. The, the walls were mighty. 
And the people didn't see how this was going to work, but God did because God knew that he's all powerful. All he had to do was tell them, just do what I'm telling you to do. It'll be fine. So they were standing there looking at the city with no access. And God gives them this crazy plan. And then the walls fell. God helped them overcome the Canaanites because they were faithful and they were obedient. They did exactly what he said. See, when Moses was told to go into the land, God didn't tell him to send spies. God said, go into the land. They tried to do it their own way, and God didn't let them in. When, when Jericho fell, it was because they did it exactly the way that they did. So the spoils of the war, war were all offered up to God. The ornament for day 11 is the ram's horn trumpet. That's actually known as a shofar, too, if you guys have ever heard that term. So day 12 is from Judges 6 through 8, and it's a story of Gideon. I'm going to kind of shorten these last couple ones up. Um, God chose Gideon to lead his people, and Gideon literally told God, God, you're wrong, that's a bad idea. I'm not the guy. And Gideon was from the smallest tribe, and he was from actually the weakest family in the smallest tribe. And the story of Gideon shows that even as a small farmer from a small tribe, God's going to use you. We have to rely on God for the victory because we have never, we never have enough strength on our own to do it anyway. God repeatedly, think about that in the Bible, guys. God repeatedly uses the weak to show his strength. Constantly. Chapter 7, verse 4 through 7 says, And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone whom I say to you, let this one go, uh, this one shall go with you. So if you remember the story of Gideon, some go down and they lap water like a dog. Some put it in their hands and they cup it. And that's how God tests. Now, Gideon had thousands of people there. God chose to take 300. Why? Why not take the thousands? I mean, you're going to war. Take what you got. God's like, I don't need a big army. I got me. <laughs> I mean, think about that. You're with God. It's, it's, it's funny because think about your children and think about the way that your children behave sometimes. When they get in trouble, what do they do? They run and they get behind you because you're the big dad. You're the big mom, whatever. You're the, you're the support person for that, for that kid. And it doesn't matter how big they are. My 20-year-old son still gets up and gets behind me sometimes when we're going somewhere. The point is, is that God showed he didn't need a large army. What God needed was a faithful one. He needed an army that he knew would do what he asked when he asked. 
So the ornament for day 12 is a clay pitcher of water, because that was how they, they, they either lapped or they, they um, put it in their hands. So day 13 is the story of Ruth. We're going to kind of crank through this one too, because everybody knows the story of Ruth. Thing is, Ruth remains faithful to Naomi and goes into the fields to glean, to glean from among the barley after the grain was harvested. If you remember in Scripture, the poor were allowed to go to the outer edges and take from, from there. And while Ruth was working in the fields, she meets Boaz, who's the landowner. He's, he's very attracted to her. He hears her story, and they end up, they end up getting married. Um, the idea from this story is that God is always faithful to provide for his children. The, the thing with that story is that Ruth's, Ruth's husband had died, and she decided that she was going to stay with Naomi. No matter what, she said, I'm staying with you. Now, there's no income. There's no, there's no money earner. There's no breadwinner in that family. So Ruth is out doing what she's doing. And her faithfulness is really just to, to Naomi to keep them alive doing what they're doing. And God blesses that faithfulness that they have. So the ornament for day uh, 13 is grain. Are you guys coloring those or did you already get done? You still coloring? All right. Lastly, you guys are like, yes, thank you. For the 14th day, um, the Hebrews have been begging for a king. They wanted a leader like all the other nations had. 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10 says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Then Samuel did not know, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. So then we skip to chapter 8, and all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint... For us, a king to be judged, to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. 
And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So, they choose Saul. Why? Because he was a head taller than all the other guys, and man, was he good looking. Do we not do that today, really? We kind of we put our faith in people who are good looking because, well, because they're good looking. Um, they ultimately, the people rejected God as their leader. Quite frankly, you look back through, I mean, we're, we're in Samuel now. You go back through the entirety of the book so far up to Samuel, that's all they've done is reject God. And they were warned, and they still ignored it. They, they, they flat out tell them, like, You're God, you, know, you guys put a king over you, he's going to do this, he's going to do this, he's going to take this, he's going to take that from you. And they're like, we don't care, we want that good looking guy. It, it, it had no effect over them. That's what we see throughout the Advent so far, is that rules are given, we break them. Covenants are made, we shatter those too. Even when we see, we literally see the hand of God working, we do other things. And then we complain it's not enough. Then, then we get to a point in our lives where we kind of make this false god. And we put this god up in our, in our little place where we like him because it's easy to control a false god. He kind of does what we want him to do, right? Because, well, we're making him, so we can just do it. It's easier to make our own ruler. And that's really what the people were doing here in this, in this section was they, they wanted somebody who was like them. God's not like us. God is real. God is truth. We're not. So it's, it's hard for us sometimes to go, I, I want to submit myself to an all-powerful, almighty, all-just God because what if He does something to me, right? That's what we get worried about but we missed the entirety of what Christ did. We were, we were talking the other night in our Bible study about how Jesus never condemns. And we, we, we look at things that way through our own personal life of, well, I did this, now people are going to condemn me for it. Or I didn't live up to this standard, whatever it may be, and God's, gonna, God's not going to love me anymore. And I don't know where we ever came up with that idea, but you never see Jesus condemn anyone. He, he, he tells them something's wrong, and He tells them to follow Him. Turn from your sin and follow Me. But He, he, doesn't, he doesn't make people feel bad. R- remember, remember the lady that was caught in adultery. He, he does not say anything. Just... Where, where are your accusers now? This week shows us in great detail how we can't do anything in our own strength. We, we have to have Jesus to do things. 
that the whole Advent is all about the things that we do to push away from God and the things that He does to draw us back to Himself. That's what the whole Advent's about. If we didn't sin, we wouldn't need a Savior. But we do, and we do. That's just what it's about, guys. So let's, let's stand up. We're going to pray. And um, next week we'll go into the next seven. Dear Lord, we just thank You for Your Son. We thank You for the gift of...